It is great to be here. I love worshiping with you. I love the kids choir. I like love tapestry coming up. I love this partnership that we now have in the gospel as, as ministers together to care for the needs of both local and, and the needs of global. But it's a delight to be with you today. So I'm from Camarillo, uh, originally from the Midwest. I got I got four kids. They'll, they'll pop up here in a minute. They, I got one at Cal Poly, two other at school, and one in high school. And my wife works as a nurse. And I served as a pastor for a number of years. And it's, it's deli- I'm just delighted to come alongside what God is doing right here, right now, because God is doing a new thing. And I thought I'd start today with a question. It's a little bit of a deeper question. And the question is this. Have you ever had a moment in your life when you knew that God was speaking to you? Maybe you're out in nature and you saw the beauty of creation and you just said, wow, God, you're good, or God, you're beautiful. Or, or maybe it was in a worship service like this, and it was through the music or through the message, and you just knew that God was communicating to you, or maybe you were doing your devotions and reading the scriptures and the words of the scriptures just leaped off the page, or maybe you were going through a difficult time, loss of a loved one or, or loss of a job, and it was the words of a friend, and you knew that God was speaking to you. Have you ever had a moment in your life when you knew that God was speaking to you. I had one of those moments. I didn't grow up in the church. I, I grew up playing sports, and I, I uh, came to faith later through a sports ministry, and, and I, I was radically transformed by the gospel. Like, like Jesus just ambushed me with his love, and, and I was overwhelmed by his grace and, and forgiveness for my sins, and I, I started reading the Bible. It's like I'd never seen the Bible before, and, and the, the, the words of Scripture were just alive and I was experiencing his presence and I ended up going to a Christian university in in Minneapolis, Minnesota called Bethel University and I I took this class called The Life and Teachings of Jesus. And I had already experienced the forgiveness of my sins, but now I was learning what it meant to follow Jesus. And, And some of the scriptures that God was using at that time were ones like this one where it says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This was Jesus quoting Isaiah in his first sermon back in his hometown. He says, this is my mission. This is why I'm here. The Spirit of God's on me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And then Jesus has this interaction with this rich young ruler, this guy that has a lot of wealth but not a lot of meaning to his life. And he has this dialogue, and and Jesus talks to this rich guy, and he says, hey, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and then have treasures in heaven, and then come follow me like a hurrah, and I'll show you what it means to have a life that's truly life, a life of meaning and significance, a life that's that's abundant and joyful. You just got to get rid of the stuff that you're living for and give to the needs of the but the kicker for me was when John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, his cousin, was at a tough spot in his life. He was in prison, and he was wondering, are you the one, or should I expect someone else? And Jesus answered by saying, go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the, the poor. And I started realizing that God loves the poor. Like God loves everybody, but he has this special concern 
for the least of these. And, and then Jesus says, you know, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Because this is my mission. This is my purpose. This is why I'm here. I want to give forgiveness. I want to die on the cross to set us free from the penalty of our sins. But I want to make sure that I'm caring for the needs of the poor. But, but then Jesus, he, he says it so clearly. He, he, he identifies so closely when he says it in Matthew chapter 25. He says, I, I say to those on my right, come you who are blessed. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. Whatever you did, for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. That God identifies so closely with the hurting and the hungry that to minister to them is to minister to him. To love those he loves is to love him. So I'm a new student at Bethel University, and I'm, I'm, I'm reading these scriptures, and I'm, I'm soaking these scriptures, in, and I'm invited to go to a baseball game. Any baseball fans? Any Dodger fans? Giants? Port. Any, any Port fans? Well, there they are, yeah. They lost again last night. That's too bad. But the, so I, I was living in Minneapolis, and I was invited to go to uh, Wrigley Field, right? So drive down to, to Chicago, like this epic stadium, you know, the Ivy is kind of the mecca of baseball. And, and my pastor invited me to go down, the campus pastor at the school. So we drive down and we, we uh, enjoy the game. Cubs actually won, so it was like a miracle. So it was really fun to be at the game with, with my pastor. And then after the game, I'm going to go visit my grandmother. He's going to go visit his friends. So we say goodbye. And I'm walking down Clark Street with thousands of other fans. And I walk by a homeless guy, and he's shaking a cup. He's saying, 16 cents, 16 cents. All I need is 16 cents. And I walk past him like thousands of other fans. And then I, I thought to myself, like 16 cents. You know, why does he need 16 cents? So I went back, and, and I asked him. He was sitting in, in a stairwell, and I, I kind of over, over, uh, over to his side. and says, hey, why do you need 16 cents? He looked up at me. He says, for liquor, what else? And I quickly replied, you know, I can't support your drinking habits, but if you're hungry, I'll get you something to eat. And he looked at me, he looked back in the stairwell. He says, come on, guys, this kid's buying. <laughs> and out of the stairwell, three other homeless guys emerged. And I had like $30 in my pocket. I said, hey, let's go find something to eat. So we walked down Clark Street, find a pizza joint. We walk in, I order the pizzas, we sit down, and we start sharing a meal, talking. I get to hear their story. One guy actually went to school near where I was going to school at the time, but drugs got the best of him. He ended up on the street. Second guy uh, volunteered at a mission, but alcohol got the best of him, and he ended up on the street. Third guy was a, was a ventriloquist, and I hate saying this, but he really wasn't very good, so I can understand why he ended up where he did. But there was this fourth guy that was really big, and he was really mean, and he was sort of poking fun at me. He says, you're just some punk kid. What do you know about life? You know, you're just some Christian kid. Are you going to teach me the Bible? You know, the guys were like, give him a break. He's giving us free pizza. And, and, and he did, and we continued our conversation. And, and then the guys went outside. I went up. I paid for the pizza. And when I walked outside, the big guy, who was really mean, he towered over me, poked me in the chest, and said, joke's over, kid. Give me all your money. 
At that moment, two thoughts raced through my mind. One like, I'm going to die. I don't have any more money. But the second thought came from my intro to psych class. And it was reverse psychology. And so I said to him, no way, man. You give me your money. And that's what he did. He started laughing. And he put his arm around me. He says, this kid's all right. And we connected. I wasn't just some punk college kid. He wasn't some homeless guy. We're fellow travelers on this journey called life. And he went on to explain more about his life and how he washes windows to make money and some of the challenges that he faced that brought him to where he is. And we talked for another 90 minutes. And then I got on the bus to go visit my grandmother and he yelled at me. He says, hey, kid. He says, God bless you. And I walked to the back of that bus and I sat down and I started reflecting on this experience that I just had. And it's almost as if I heard God's voice. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was the bum outside Wrigley Field and you bought me some pizza. That was my moment. Like I had this moment with God where where I sensed his presence, where I heard his voice. Have you ever had that type of moment? That was my moment. Where I heard God's voice and, and, I, and I learned a lesson in that moment, that day, that has carried me to this day. And the lesson is this. That if we want to get closer to Jesus, then we must get closer to the poor. That if we want to get closer to Jesus, if we want to have this intimate, vibrant relationship with the living God, then we must get closer to the poor. Why? Because that's where he is. He says, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was a stranger. You gave me something to drink, you gave me food to eat, you welcomed me in. That's where Jesus resides. And we can go to our worship services, and I'm glad you're here. And we can read the scriptures on our own, and I hope you do. And we can go to our Bible studies, but if we really want to experience the power and presence of Jesus, then somewhere in our lives we have to. Get closer to the poor. Because that's his mission. That's his, that's his dream. That's his desire is to, is to bring good news. That's where he resides. And that's why I'm so glad that Matthew recorded Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 25. Because Jesus' followers were having a hard time with Jesus' teaching. Like, like they, they were not connecting with everything that he was saying. They had, they had their own version of what they hoped he would do. Their own theology. They were hoping that, that, they would, that Jesus would meet their needs a little differently than what he was doing. And so in Matthew chapter 24, they asked Jesus this question. They said, Jesus was sitting at the Mount of Olives and they came to us and said, Hey, tell us, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? They were saying, hey, Jesus, when are you going to make all the things that are wrong with the world right? Like, when are the challenges that I'm facing being oppressed by this Roman government going to be made different? Like, when are you going to come and bring your kingdom to earth? They wanted to know, when? When will this happen? But Jesus doesn't answer the question, when. Now, certainly he, he describes some of the end times, but he, he doesn't say when. He he. He answers a different question, maybe even a better question. And so I'm going to read Matthew chapter 25. I want to see if you can 
hear the answer that Jesus gives. But in Matthew chapter 25, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you. Since the creation of the world, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in, I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger invites you in or needing clothes and clothes you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will say, whatever you did to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. But then he's going to say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. You did not invite me in. I need clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick in prison, and you didn't look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and eating clothes or sick in the prison and did not help you? And he replied, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then he says these really powerful and scary words. Then he, They will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So Jesus doesn't answer the question when. He answers the question who. Who's coming? Who's going to get in? Who's going to receive the inheritance prepared for everyone at the end? Who will receive this inheritance? And if you notice, Jesus begins by saying, I'm the son of man. Like, he clearly defines himself as the one that's going to make the world right, that he's going to come down with his glorious angels. And, and he says, I am the king. Jesus is not describing himself as a teacher or the suffering servant. That's the first time. This is his return. He says, I'm the king. And when I come back to rule my kingdom, there's going to be this separation. I, I'm going to separate people. There's going to be those on the right and those on the left. And I'm going to separate people metaphorically as a, as a shepherd separates the sheep. The sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, we don't always enter into this metaphor easily because we don't have a lot of goats or sheep near us. But those first readers could enter into this space because shepherds were all around. Sheep were all around. It was, it was commonplace. For the shepherd at the end of the day, when all the grazing was done, that the goats would go into the pen and the sheep would stay out in the field. And they would lie down and rest or maybe they would eat a little bit longer. And some commentators describe this separation between the goats as the, as the sheep as this time where the goats would sometimes try to be like sheep. Like at the end of the day, when there's this separation and the goats would go into the pen, they would want to stay out in the sheep and, and they would want to continue to be around the sheep and maybe eat a little more grass like the sheep and they would sort of hang out with the sheep. They would be around the sheep, maybe even look like sheep, but they're not sheep. 
And it's almost as if Jesus has given us a warning, saying, at the end of the day, when I come back as the king and I separate all the nations, some will have the appearance of a sheep. They'll look like sheep. They'll hang around sheep. They'll talk like sheep, but they're not sheep. They're goats. And they're not going to enter my kingdom. And did you notice the one character quality that separates the sheep from the goats? Because both heard the shepherd's voice. Both ate the shepherd's food. Both were in the presence of the shepherd. But there's only one distinct difference between the sheep and the goats. Did you notice it? Let me point it out to you. The king will reply, I tell you, whatever you did to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. The one difference between the sheep and the goats is the doing. It's the doing that makes the difference. It's not the talking. It's not the studying. It's not the thinking about. The one distinct difference between the sheep and the goats, according to the teachings of Jesus, is the doing. Now, this is not works-based theology. This is not saying, hey, we got to make ourselves right before God. You know, if we, we do good things and God will like us and we'll get into heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. But Jesus is saying, one way to reflect our faith in him, one expression of our trust in him is to do what he's called us to do. And the Sermon on the Mount, both in the front end and the back end, say the exact same thing. Maybe you remember at the Sermon on the Mount at the beginning, Jesus says, hey, you're the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds, your good ergon, your good work, and glorify your Father in heaven. And then at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives this metaphor between, you know, you build your house on the rock and on the sand. And, and the difference between those that build their house on the rock and on the sand are the ones that put it into practice, that actually do what Jesus said. See, the big difference, the only difference, the distinction between the goats and the sheep, the, the only thing that separates the, the other is, is the doing. James said it this way, What good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith but have no deeds? Can such faith fade them? And he says, if, if one of you says, go, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about the physical needs, faith is not accompanied by action, it's dead. So what's the difference? It's the doing. It's the doing that makes the difference. It's not the thinking about. It's not the reading. It's not the showing up. And it's almost as if that Jesus is warning us. Don't just listen. Don't just talk. Don't just think about. Do something. And it's not like the disciples were doing anything wrong. It's just that they weren't doing anything right. They were not bringing justice to the poor. And, and a number of years ago, I, I, I shared with you that I, I served as a pastor. And a number of years ago, I, I, 
taught on a series. It was called Do Something. And what I, what I invited the congregation to do, I said, hey, there's 1.4 billion people only living on $1.25 a day, right? So let's, let's pray, let's fast, let's think, let's give, let's end extreme poverty together. Hey, let's do something. Let's not just talk. Let's not just think. Let's, let's pull our resources together. And, and so what I had a chance to do is I had a chance to go to Africa and to see some of the, the poverty that's there and, and some of the beauty. And for those of you that, that have gone to Africa, you might have seen, you know, like the rhinos or, or the beauty of, of the giraffes that were, were flying by. Or, you know, we got to see the, the monkeys and I even had a chance to, to eat a little monkey. And yes, it does taste like chicken. And, and so it was, it was beautiful to see it. But there was also this, this extreme poverty where these kids, look at all those eyeballs looking at you. These kids are playing with this toy. This is their one toy. It's called a galimoto. It's what they put together. This is what, what it looks like for kids to live in poverty. They're, they're playing with garbage, right? That's what, that's what they're doing. And, and they're walking for water. Miles. Instead of walking to school, they're walking for water. That's not even clean. It's dirty water. A thousand kids die every day from dirty water, drinking dirty water. That's what kids are doing here. Half of them don't make it to, to, to age five because they're, they're not eating well. Their, their bellies are distended and, and they're, they're getting sick from, from diarrhea because they're not, their little bodies can't overcome it. But there are also men like this, Matthew. Matthew, who's, a, who's a, a, a technical medical worker, and he proudly talked about how he cared for the mothers giving birth. In, in, in a relatively dilapidated building, but he said, I take care of the moms and, and I provide, you know, nets for the kids so they cannot, so they don't get malaria. And, and so, I, so I came back to my congregation. I said, hey, let's do something. L let's gather our resources together. I invited them to pray, to think, and to fast. And I invited them, I say, let's give up something good to participate in something great, the end of poverty. I said, hey, let's give up something that you like. Something that makes you feel good. Maybe it's a cup of coffee or going on vacation. And instead of spending that on something that's comfortable or something, sacrifice for the sake of someone else. And it was amazing to see how people responded. One guy, uh, he was a back row guy, so for those of you in the back row, he, he heard the invitation to give up something good, to participate in something great. He immediately knew, I got to give up soft drinks. And, and he's, he's a guy that in his, in his class his senior class photo, it's him with a can of Coke. Like he, he was known for his Coke consumption. He went on to high, uh, college and, and he went, graduated into like the Mellow Yellow and the Hard Rock. And he went to the nursing center and, and he said, I got these shakes. I don't understand why I got these shakes. And the nurse did her assessment and asked, finally, like, how much caffeine are you drinking? He says, well, I bought a case and a half a week. And he heard the invitation, although he tried to quit many times before. Now he's married, has kids. His wife wanted him to quit. He couldn't quit, but then he heard an invitation. Hey, give up something good for something better. And he knew right away, all the money I'm spending on soft drinks, I'm going to give to help kids escape poverty. And, and his life was transformed because he was living a bigger story for the sake of someone else. He was doing something. He's putting it into practice. Another guy is a postal worker, and he, on his route, he, you know, he does this driving route, but instead of driving to the station, he decided to ride his bike, and all the money that he would spend on fuel, he said, I'm going to do something with that fuel. And one day he was riding his bike to work. He got in. He was doing his route. And he slammed the door, hit his finger on the door. And he screamed. And he says, oh, I just got to, you know, get back to the station, drive to the hospital and get some stitches. And then he said, oh, I drove my bike to work. And then he heard this voice in his spirit. He says, that's how 
millions of children feel that don't have access to health care. And it touched him. And he heard God speak to him as he was sacrificing for someone else in need. And it's not that God wasn't speaking to him every other day on his route. But it comes back to this truth. That, that if we want to get closer to Jesus, if we want to experience his presence, if we want to hear his voice in our life, then we must get closer to the hurting and the hungry because that's where he is. And that's what you get to do in the Matthew chapter 20, the Matthew 25 challenge. You know, this, this day you're, you're, you're going to learn a little bit about this Matthew 25 challenge. And then over the next couple days, you're going to take these different challenges. So, so I'm going to show you a video here, but, but on day one, you're going to get this challenge, and, and Pastor Grant mentioned it a little bit last week, and then you get a video story, and then you get a Devo and a prayer. But let's just check out this quick video, and then you can sign up today for the Matthew chapter 25 challenge. Then the king would say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepare for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you give me something to eat. I was thirsty and you give me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invited you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The Matthew 25 challenge was a transformational moment for my family and I. There's one particular day when the challenge was to sleep on the floor. And I walked by my daughter's room, and she was already there on her sleeping bag, reading her Bible. The Matthew 25 challenge was an incredibly spiritual experience for me personally. God was teaching us different things every day, and sharing it with each other was really exciting. Well, when it came to the Water Day challenge, three words come to mind. Caffeine, withdrawal, headaches. Going without coffee all day was a lot harder than I thought. I'd get these headaches, but every time I did, it would remind me of the six kilometer walk that women and children have to do to get unclean water. My first thought was, this will be easy. I grew up missing meals and sleeping on the floor, but my daughters, not so much. They were challenged to come out of their Wi-Fi life and actually experience what kids around the world experience every single day. Pull out your phones and text this number, 56170, and in the message you put Quail Lakes Baptist Church, so it's QLBCM25. And that's how you'll enter into this challenge. Now, for those of you that have a program or a little bulletin insert, there's also the, the information on there. And you can also do this um, online through an email, and you can get these, the same text journey. But over the next seven days, six days, you'll receive 
a text based off the words of Jesus, I was hungry. Then you learn about global hunger, and then you get a story, and then you go without food that day, and then it was thirsty, and then it's a stranger, and then, and then one, one uh, you know, slept on the floor, and one dad, because this is great for families. It's great for extended families that you can do it with your children or your grandchildren, and you can invite other people, those of you who are online, to take the challenge. Because what happens is you, you start to connect with one another, you start to connect with God's heart for the poor, and then you start connecting with Jesus. This is what happens. I, I know when I first took the challenge, I, um, I, 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 like super, I didn't read the fine print. So I went without food for the first two days. And at the end of the second day, my kids were like, Dad, you're kind of grumpy. And they were right. You're kind of hangry. You know, Dad. And I was literally like, I was dizzy. Like I was, I was drinking water, but I, I, I wasn't as productive at work. And I remember writing in my journal that night, I said, you know what, I really don't like the Matthew 25 challenge. Like, uh, I can't wait to eat tomorrow. And it's almost as if the, I heard God say, you know, why should you eat tomorrow? I was like, because I ate a couple days ago. And it was, it was like, you should eat tomorrow because you ate a couple days ago. And I noticed that there was like this demanding spirit inside of me that just because I got it the other day that I should get it again. And God had to transform me to have my demanding and I became more grateful more alive because of the challenge and so will you so just text this number 56170 and in the text box you put QLBCM25 and you're in and you'll get these regular text messages and then there's a family devotional and then you come back next week and then you'll be able to hear Peter Mutabazi and experience the final challenge in a really special way but Jesus said these words and in, in, in Luke chapter 4 in his, in his first sermon. And one of the things that we don't always recognize is Jesus was quoting Isaiah chapter 61. But he very intentionally left out some final words. At the end of this quote in Isaiah, it says, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But Jesus very intentionally left out these words, and everybody would have known it, those first listeners. And the day of vengeance of our God. See, on that first sermon, Jesus announced the good news, but he bore the bad news. Jesus proclaimed justice for the poor, but he took the injustice of the world on the cross where he died in our place. In response to the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf, he's inviting us to sacrifice a little today, to go without water and to enter into his desire to bring good news to the poor. So my invitation to you is to take this challenge and experience God's presence both individually and collectively. So God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your presence. Thank you that your power is made perfect in weakness. And we just ask you, Holy Spirit, to draw us closer to your heart as we go without for a week so that we may go deeper in our relationship with you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.